and it can be found on page 1060 of the Bibles in your seats. I'm going to read verses 1 to 34, and then I believe Anoop is going to come up and finish the chapter off for us. So that's 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed for no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation, and so is your faith. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom did he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterwards, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. But when it says everything is put under him, it's obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. And when everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are the people people baptized for them? Why are we in danger every hour? I affirm by the pride in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. If I fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hope, what good did that do me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. 
continuing on. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Foolish one. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the future body, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars, for one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth and made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man made of dust, so are those who are made of dust. Like the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the man made of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. Brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the blink of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, team. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name's Andy. Um, if I haven't met you, I, that's because I don't normally come here. Um, I'm the pastor at Church by the Bridge Blues Point Road at 6.15. Is this working? Yep, that's good. That's good. Uh, what an amazing chapter to, to preach on and to look at this evening. Why don't I pray for us and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are a speaking God. Uh, we praise you that you have something to say to us. And we pray, Lord, that we would hear your voice tonight. We pray that your spirit would illuminate your word, that your spirit would change us more like Jesus for our good and your glory. Amen. Uh, well, I want to ask you, um, why would anyone bother being a Christian? Perhaps you uh, came here tonight, you uh, were hoping to go to a cafe, but you got the wrong door and you came into this weird building with these bunch of weirdos speaking to their invisible friend and singing these strange songs. It's a bit odd, isn't it? Why would anyone bother 
Perhaps you are a Christian and you're finding it hard work at the minute. Uh, We're six months into a new congregation and you might be feeling tired uh, uh, through serving. Uh, You've been on loads of rosters and you're thinking, why am I bothering? Perhaps you're experiencing, like I have this week, a bit of dry July. Not talking about uh, giving up alcohol for the month of July, but that uh, mid-year slump that you often get where you feel dry spiritually. You feel like uh, the world around you, the, the, the people that don't trust Jesus, have it all so good, and you have it really tough. Maybe there's a, a disaster has happened in your life, and you're feeling, why should I bother? Why should I keep going? Well, Paul's concern at the end of this letter, we've only got two more chapters to go. Paul's concern is that we would keep going with Jesus, that we would keep bothering with him, keep working for Jesus, living for Jesus. Just flick on uh, to the end of the chapter, chapter 15, verse uh, 58, and you see where Paul's going. This is his purpose, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See, the Corinthian church were a church that had stopped bothering with Jesus. They called themselves Christians. They thought they were part of the most awesome church in the world. They thought they were the most awesome Christians in their church. Each of them thought they were the most awesome Christians in their church. But if you were part of that church, you would have experienced factions and infighting. If you went to their church services, you would have seen them get drunk over the Lord's Supper. If you followed them home after church, You'd have seen them duck straight past their house and down to the local brothel. They were living this dual life, saying uh, they were Christians, singing, I love you, Lord. Uh, But their lives were no different from Corinth's. And Paul doesn't give them a stick at this point. What's his remedy for Christians who are about to give up on Jesus? His remedy is the gospel message. Just uh, have a look at verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to clarify, I want to remind uh, you of the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it, have taken it, and stand on it. Uh, you are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you. He wants them to hold on to the message that he proclaimed, the gospel message. Uh, the word gospel just means good news. And he hits them with this chapter and tells them just how good this message is and just how good Jesus is and how worth it it is to keep going with him. So I want us to do a big sweep of this chapter. We're doing the Express 330 version. Uh, We're going to do a big sweep of this chapter. I've got four, four reasons why the gospel is good news. And I want you just to take those four reasons away, take chapter 15 away with you and mull over it tonight. Read over it in detail. Do the work that we can't do here in 20 minutes. Uh, so first, um, first reason why the gospel is good. Um, uh, sorry, the, the, the main reason why the gospel is good, uh, if you noticed and you might have noticed from our theme in the service, is that Jesus is risen. That's the heart 
of his gospel message. And why is Jesus risen? Such good news. Four reasons. Uh, The first reason is that Jesus risen means that we have hope. Jesus risen means that we have hope. That's verses 1 to 19. But just look at verses uh, 3 to 8. It's the, the language of crime stoppers, isn't it? Uh, this, this man, Jesus, was last seen three days after he died. Uh, have a look at three, verses 3 to 4. We get the, the witness of the Old Testament. So, uh, verse 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the biblical witness. But then we have verses 5 to 8, the eyewitnesses. Uh, So verse 5, he appeared to Cephas, uh, that is Peter, then he appears to the 12, then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. And you guys, Corinthians, you can go and ask him. Some of them have died, but most of them are still there. Go and ask him if they touched him, if they felt him, if they heard him, if they saw him. Um, He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And then last of all, as to one abnormally born, he appeared to me, the Apostle Paul. And that is an incredible uh, amount of eyewitness testimony that testifies to the, risen, uh, to the resurrected Jesus. I wonder whether you noticed uh, what's unusual about, well, what's significant about the three individuals that Paul pulls out in those eyewitnesses. Who was, who was Peter? You know who Peter was to Jesus? He was his mate. He was his best mate. Who was James? James was his brother. And Paul, Paul was his enemy. Now, what would it take for you to convince your best mate, your biological brother, and your enemy that you had been raised from the dead and are now king of the whole world and king of the universe? We got any brothers here? Anyone got a brother here? Sisters here? What would it take for you to convince your sibling that you were actually king of the universe because you rose from the dead? A lot, I would say. And what Paul wants us to know here is that Jesus actually rose from the dead, that he physically rose from the dead, not spiritually or metaphorically. There are lots of people in the world who say uh, that the idea of Jesus rose or Jesus spiritually rose or or just the the following of Jesus rose. No, Jesus rose physically and really from the dead. And why does he want us to know that? He wants us to know that because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then your faith and my faith comes crashing down. A friend of mine does a kid's talk on this passage, and what he does is he gets a he gets a chair, we won't get a kid up, but he gets a chair, he gets a, a chair and he gets a kid up on the chair and he says what Paul is doing, uh, that's, that the kid represents Christianity and the chair represents the physical resurrection of Jesus and what Paul is doing is that he is giving the chair a good shake and if you're lucky, uh, uh, the kid falls on the floor and you get lots of drama and that kind of uh, illustration. Um, but that's what Paul is doing. He is saying that if Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead, then your Christianity and my Christianity falls on its face. We stand 
on Jesus raised. Uh, just have a look. Have a look with me. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Have a look with me from uh, kind of uh, verse, 50, verse 14 onwards. Uh, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation. We're just telling you lies. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God because they've testified that Christ has been raised from the dead. Uh, Verse 16, and if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. Your Your faith, your Christianity falls on the floor. And look at the depressing state at, verse 17, at the end of verse 17, you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. It's a very sad state, isn't it? That those who we know who have died in Christ are perishing. That if Jesus isn't raised, then we are on a pathway to perish. That is very depressing. Verse 19, no wonder he says that we should be pitied more than anyone in the world. It's a beautiful image, isn't it, that people in Christ have fallen asleep. Paul wants us to know that hope. Paul wants us to know that because Christ has been raised from the dead, then those who follow him will not perish, will not die, will fall asleep. That's amazing, isn't it? You will know people. You will have family members who have died in Christ. Uh, we had a, uh, uh, my son Henry um, was a, a twin pregnancy and we lost him. We lost his twin in the womb. It is amazing to know that because Christ has been raised from the dead, then our little baby has fallen asleep in Christ. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, uh, then that is a depressing and hopeless situation to be in. Paul wants us to know the hope of Jesus raised in which we stand on. Well, second reason why this is good news and why it is good news that Jesus is risen is that Jesus risen means that we have life. That's verses 20 to 34. Read with me verse 20. Verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That language again, fallen asleep. Uh, what Paul is doing is moving us away from the courtroom and eyewitnesses and giving us a farming lesson. He's telling us that Jesus was the first of many. He was the, the first fruits. If you've been to the Yarra Valley and uh, you go there when the grapes are just coming out, uh, you know that in six months' time you won't get orange juice at the tasting, uh, at the, at the tasting bars. Uh, you will see grapes and you will taste wine. And likewise, uh, the first, Jesus is the first fruits, which means that he is the first of many. For him, verse 25, him rising means that he is the conquering king. For he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. He is the conquering king. Uh, that's what Jesus risen means. It also means that uh, it also means that because he is king, because he is raised, 
he is recreating the world. That he is the first fruits of the new creation. We often think that the new creation starts at the end of time. But God is recreating his world now and giving his followers new life. That means uh, that, let me just look at verse uh, 23. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Christ first, and when Christ returns, his followers will be physically raised, just like Jesus. Now, that wasn't a big issue for the Corinthians uh, because they didn't believe in their own physical resurrection. They had this view of the body that it was a wrapper. They believed in the afterlife, but they believed that the body was a wrapper and that when you were uh, resurrected the afterlife, you kind of ditched your body and you went off to be a floaty spirit. You hear that kind of language at funerals, don't you? Oh, he's there looking down at us. And uh, that kind of thing. But Paul wants us to know that Jesus is the first fruits. He was raised physically. And those who belong to Christ, verse 23, will follow suit. Will have a resurrection just like ours. uh, Just like his. If you're a follower here today of Jesus, then Jesus has given you a second life. And that is amazing. Uh, It it means that, uh, you know, the hashtag YOLO, you only live once. Uh, Ever search that in, put that into Facebook or Instagram. You see people doing all of these crazy, uh, you only live once kind of things. Well, if what Paul says is true, that Jesus has risen from the dead as the first fruits, then YOLO is not true for those who belong to Jesus. Uh, the Corinthians were treating their body like a rapper, so they were living the YOLO life, doing what they wanted. But Paul says, no, if you belong to Christ, you only live twice. Jesus has given you two lives. And that means that you can give uh, your first life up for Jesus. I think that's what Paul is going on about in 29 to 34. Um, He's talking about the baptism for the dead. I think that's you're baptized because of the dead. You get dunked down as a symbolism, as if you died and then raised to new life. He's saying, we don't need to do that if the dead are not raised. Uh, But verse 31, uh, verse 32, sorry, he says, If I fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hope, what good did that do me? Paul has gone to the ends of the earth to take the news of the risen Jesus into hostile places. And he can only do that because he knows he's got a second life. Uh, Paul uh, says he dies every day because Jesus has given him a second life. My question to you is, what will you do with your first life? If you know that you've got a second life, you can give give it away for Jesus. What does it mean for you to die every day to see Christ proclaimed in this city? Uh, uh, Jim Elliott um, is uh, one of my missionary heroes. He, um, he died, he got uh, killed trying to take the gospel to the Aurora Indians in the Amazon jungle. Uh, uh, he was, died immediately, pretty much, to, to try and take the news of Jesus 
to 200 people. What will it mean for you to die to take the news of Jesus to the 200 people that are closest to you in Sydney? Another hero of mine is a guy called John Lang, a famous multi-millionaire construction. He had a multi-million pound construction empire. For him to, to give up his first life meant that he had this multi-million pound construction empire. But he poured every last penny that that company earned into the proclamation of Jesus risen. He poured every effort of his working life into making sure that his employees were treated well so that they would see Jesus in the way he worked. It meant that, uh, it meant that um, sucking up the cost of being a man of his word, even when it cost him a lot of money, he gave his life up. He gave his, li- his first life up because Jesus was risen. What will it mean for you to give up your first life? Because Jesus is, living, is risen. You don't only live once if you belong to Jesus. You live twice. And you can give up your first life for Jesus. Well, Jesus risen equals, uh, means that we have uh, life. Thirdly, Jesus risen means that we have new bodies. That's verses 35 uh, to 50. Uh, Now, the big issue here was that, as I said, the Corinthians didn't believe that they would be physically raised. Uh, So verse uh, 35 addresses that question. Uh, Have a look at verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body will they have uh, when they come? Uh, Paul uh, wants to explain to us the kind of body we will have in the new creation when Jesus comes back and raises the dead. And the relationship he presents to us is the relationship between a seed and a plant. Uh, So he says, uh, verse 37, as for what you sow, you are not sowing the future body, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another of grain. So he's saying the body that you have now is the seed. That seed will die And that seed will uh, give birth to the new glorious body. So there will be similarity because when you plant a a seed for an orange plant, you get orange trees. When you plant uh, a seed of wheat, you get grains of, of wheat. And Paul is saying here that there will be similarity between our body now and our body in the future. But the good news for uh, those who are feeling a little stiff or a little old like me, then uh, verse 40 says that there will be a great difference in our bodies. So verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. He's saying we're getting an upgrade. And that is good news. That is good news. That is good news for me. It is good news as we head towards our old age, as things that shouldn't sag start sagging, as things that should work stop working, as the the piles of pills that we need to take in the morning and the evening start building up. The good news is, is that your body will be upgraded, just like Jesus is. Now, this was a big issue because the Corinthians thought that they were having a spiritual resurrection. 
But Paul says, no, you are having a physical resurrection into a body that is much more glorious uh, than the one you have now. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote The Great Divorce. And in The Great Divorce, uh, these these people take a, a, a day trip to heaven on a bus. And when they get to heaven, the, the funny thing is, is that it, they, they're not the Casper, the friendly ghost. Uh, the, the people in heaven are not the, the Casper, the friendly ghost kind of thing. It's not that heaven is this surreal, transparent thing. It's the people from this earth that are transparent. Heaven is much more real. Let me uh, illustrate that. Uh, just fast forward past next week in your mind. Fast forward past next week, past next year, past the next 10 years uh, to, your, uh, to your deathbed, past your deathbed, uh, to the point when you are raised by Jesus on the last day. Now think about that day. What will it look like? What will it look like? What will you be wearing? That's a good question. Now if, if you're thinking clouds and you're thinking I'm dressed in white... Be corrected by 1 Corinthians 15. Because Paul says white and clouds is a load of rubbish. It will be physical and it will be real. And it's all because Jesus was raised from the dead. We've got two minutes for the fourth reason why the gospel is good news and why Jesus risen is good news. And, and, And really, the fourth reason is verses 51 to 50, that Jesus risen means that we have a great victory. Uh, Paul says, uh, verse 51 and 52, a time is coming when a trumpet will sound and Jesus will return. And in the blink of an eye, the dead will be raised and our bodies will be transformed and we will be raised just like Jesus. That is an amazing day to look forward to. That is uh, worth going through the pain for. That is worth serving your butt off here at 3.30 Church. That is worth being tired for that day. Because Jesus, in the resurrection, has given you a new life. And Paul wants us to finish this chapter by mocking death. By giving death the two-finger salute, just look at uh, 54 to 57. Paul says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It was a bit like the Poms last Saturday at the rugby. Where is your victory, uh, Wallabies? It's that kind of mocking. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now, the sting of Death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you join in this song? Will you keep sticking and standing on Jesus? This is the gospel that Jesus is risen. That he gives us a hope that our sin is dealt with. uh, That death is not the end. That our bodies are not all that that this is not all that our bodies will be, that we will be raised one day to be with Jesus and be like Jesus. So stand firm in him. Your Christianity is not in vain. Let me pray. Father, we do praise you for this great hope that Jesus is risen, that he is the first fruits, that we will follow him if we believe in him. 
Father, help us to know the reality and the realness of new bodies and risen life. And help us to stand on Jesus, to hold fast to the gospel message, to know that trusting Jesus is not a waste of time and is worth bothering with. Amen.